relates to the Gentiles and the spread of the gospel, but it kind of fits as a Mother's Day song too, if you want to go down that particular road with it. Certainly, I don't think why it was written, but uh, it seems to fit. Uh, that God is making beautiful things out of us. Sometimes they're little babies. Sometimes they're ourselves being work in progress. Eh? Curtis, I don't know if you were saving it for later. I may be stealing your thunder by reminding folks that at this time in two weeks, uh, we'll be having a singing worship. And uh, so we will actually have people in the room singing is what we mean by that. Uh, so if you like that, come back. If you uh, that uh, alarms you a little bit, which is I know plenty of people aren't quite ready for it, um, at 10.30 will be the service where we play the recorded music. So uh, on the 23rd, uh, we'll offer those choices uh, to people. And uh, as we make, I think, some progress uh, towards whatever our better normal is going to be on the other side of the pandemic. We're continuing our journey through the book of Acts. And there's no mothers in Acts chapter 10. So, you know, I'm sorry about that. You've had your two minutes of fame today. Uh, (laughs) We do love you. um, But you're just not in Acts chapter 10, which is where my text is today. But the... um, Oh, I don't know how to come back from that. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have gone. I shouldn't have said that. <coughs> Here's where I want to start. I want to start in Acts chapter 9, actually. And uh, we're told there in verse 32, As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. And uh, we saw, we studied this text last week. It's the beginning of our text. But we need to see this as a segment, uh, a section together. What has happened is that the church in Jerusalem has been scattered. We touched briefly on Saul, who was uh, killing the Christians, throwing them in jail, torturing them, uh, trying to get them to recant their faith. And, and they scattered, and, and they uh, took with them the gospel. And so wherever it was they went, they took their faith with them. And so it, there's a real change in the church. And, and so if you think about this, our, our um, theme for this entire sermon series is a new direction. And looking at the book of Acts as a new direction. But I think there's some parallel here to what we as a church, as a society, have been through, right? We've been scattered. We were used to things being a particular way. We were used to the big gatherings, the, to the celebrations in Acts, it's in the temple to the meeting in homes and in restaurants and over tables. And and then we're scattered for different reasons. And the question is, what happens when we're scattered? How do we scatter? And uh, a few weeks ago, I suggested that we should scatter like seeds that are being scattered so that we grow and, and bring forth fruit wherever it is that we land. And so the apostles have to change their ministry. We're told that everyone's scattered except the apostles. Well, what's the good of a bunch of apostles sitting in Jerusalem? Not much is the answer. And so they're there in Jerusalem, and they've got no one to preach to. 
the church, it's probably a little hyperbole to say everyone has scattered, but you know, the vast majority have scattered. And um, they're, they're not drawing the crowds because the public are afraid of that they'll be marked and, and persecuted. And so there's a change in their ministry. And we see Peter sort of following this change. We've, we've seen him and John go up to Samaria a little bit earlier. Now he's traveling around Judea, the area that surrounds, of countryside, that surrounds Jerusalem. He's traveling around Judea and he's visiting the Christians in the places where they are. Okay? He's making pastoral visits, if you like. He traveled about the country. He went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. Okay? Now, he gets to Lydda. He heals a person, um, restores his strength to his legs so he's able to walk. Then just down the road in Joppa, Joppa is on the coast. I think today it's called Jaffa, and uh, you can still look it up on a map. And it, it's on the coast. But the people there hear of this miracle, hear that Peter's in Lydda, not far away. And when Tabitha dies, they send for Peter and they bring him over there. And, and so Peter's ministry has gone from being a prominent speaker, on a stage to now traveling to villages and when somebody calls for him to go over and help them, he goes over and helps them. Okay? He's had to take his, he's had to uh, adapt and, um, and, and switch up the way he does things to being in people's homes and very relational. We see... Um, we, we see at the end of this chapter, in verse 43, Peter, after he raises Tabitha from the dead, restores her life. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Now, it's real easy to skip over that um, because most of us don't know what a tanner is, right? I, I know we've got all those tanning places, and, and this is on a beach. So it would be real easy to sort of get a picture in your head of what it is that Simon the Tanner does. Um, but it, it's, it's a little more messy than that. He uh, gets dead animals and takes the skins off them and turns them into leather. Okay, if your mom ever threatened to tan your hide, this is what she was talking about. And uh, takes the skin, turns it into leather, and then sells it. Now, the problem if you're a Jew and that's your career choice, is that you are permanently unclean. Okay? Because you're constantly touching dead things. Um, and so Jews were not supposed to be uh, touching dead animals, dead people, certainly working with that. It would make them unclean for a period of days. Okay, So if you had a sheep and you want to have dinner, and so you kill the sheep. You know, maybe you're unclean for a week or something. Uh, but then you would go, you'd be purified, and you could go and worship at the temple. It didn't mean you lost your relationship with God. But what it means is that you lose access to the temple and that other people probably would stay away from you because they didn't want to be contaminated and become unclean and lose their access to the temple. So un uncleanliness was, was still... A thing. I'm not sure how big of a thing it was, but it was significant. 
And if you were a tanner, you was kind of marked as somebody who was permanently unclean. And so it's significant, I think, that Peter invests in this relationship, that he stays in the house of Simon the tanner when he's in Joppa. Because he says, you're my brother in Christ. Okay? And, and perhaps there was a time where I would never have done this because I would have been marked, I would have been outside, the, uh, you know, restricted from the temple. But you know, <laughs> we're, we're in this together. Right? We're, we're, neither of us can probably go to the temple these days anyway because we'll be arrested or persecuted or killed. And so uh, we're in this together. And, and that solidarity that came from their difficulties um, enabled them to, to move forward. And I think we've seen that in the church. Haven't we seen how we've adapted to different things over the past year? Uh, things that maybe we wouldn't have done before or considered before as we move forward. And we consider what was tradition and what was the way, what are the things that, are, that God insists upon. So then we come down to chapter 10. So Peter is making this switch. I would say the way I'm phrasing it today is he's making a switch from knowledge. He's making a switch from persuading people to become Jesus followers because of his knowledge and teaching of the Old Testament, of Jesus, and, and his experience of being with Jesus. He's not, he's not relying upon his credentials anymore. Now, the growth of the church that, that Peter is investing in is through relationships, as he travels, as he spends time in people's homes. And so the conversion of Cornelius, because that was the story that Steve read for us just a little bit ago. The conversion of Cornelius is not the product of great preaching. Okay. He, he doesn't become a Christian, a follower of Jesus, because Peter is the best orator in the room at the time. Rather, Cornelius becomes a Christian because of the work of God. And I would say he becomes a Christian because of the willingness of Peter to listen, firstly to God, and then to Cornelius. And so the world, as we're going to see, is turned upside down. The gospel is taken to Gentiles. This is um, a really pivotal moment in the history of the church. I might say, you know, th th there's a lot of, Maybe every time you preach a sermon, you want to say, this is really important. Um, but aside from the events of Jesus and, and the gospel events there with his life, death, burial, resurrection, and then Pentecost and the giving of the Holy Spirit and everything that happens there, I would say this story in Acts 10 might be the next most important in the life of the church. Because what we're reading about is the gospel, the, the, the doors to the kingdom of God opening to the Gentiles. Now, yes, a couple of weeks ago I talked about the Ethiopian eunuch. Okay? Uh, it seems to me he was the first Gentile that we're told about who became a Christian. But what we have here with Cornelius is the apostles, the institutional church, beginning this process of understanding 
what is going on, of recognizing the scope of Jesus' message, that it goes beyond the people of Israel to those who are outside the kingdom. And that means that you and I directly benefit from this event. There's a lot of things we don't directly benefit from. Paul traveled to Sicily. Is that important to you? He spent time in Crete. Really doesn't matter that much to you and me. But the fact that Peter preached to Cornelius and, and welcomes Cornelius into the family of God, that's something that you and I are directly direct beneficiaries of. And so the world is turned upside down through this combination of knowledge, and relationship. And it's important that we see both of those together. It started with knowledge as he preached and, and expounded scripture and demonstrated who Jesus was and convicted people of their guilt and their need for repentance, their need for Jesus. But now it's all about relationship and coming alongside people, of going into the house of somebody who is unclean and staying with them in Joppa, of meeting the needs of the widows in, in Joppa as uh, they plead for Tabitha to be restored to life. And, and, and so Cornelius is this, is a, is a Gentile, right? Not only a Gentile, he's a Roman. And, and, to, and not only a Roman, he's a Roman centurion. He represents the power and the authority of the um, occupying force in their country. You see, whenever... Jews thought about their future as a nation. They went back to the promises of God and they pictured Israel as an independent nation, as, as a people that was able to control their own destiny as they followed God. And they viewed their, the occupation, whether it be by the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Persians or the Romans, whoever it was, they viewed that occupation not only as an oppression of them, but an insult to God. And so for holy, righteous, devout Jews, they were taking offense on God's behalf that the Romans were in the, in the country. And so the, the Romans were not welcome. I mean, yes, to an extent they brought peace, but we see it in the number of uprisings that happened in uh, Jerusalem, and oftentimes, or not in Jerusalem, in the, in the country of Israel, uh, and those uprisings were fairly regular in that period of time. And so this is who Cornelius is. If that's all you knew about him, you would say, that seems a really unlikely person to begin this Gentile mission. But we're told that Cornelius is God-fearing, he gave generously to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. He'd probably lived in Israel long enough that he'd come to respect the Jews, their God, and their ways of living and worship. And so he's praying. Peter is praying, and I'm not able to spend much time really today on the vision there. You need to read that again. I encourage you to read this whole chapter to get the whole context. But Cornelius is praying and has a vision. Peter is praying and has a vision, and God is working in both those events to bring these two people together. 
And so then Peter, as we picked up the story, goes to Cornelius. And he, he comes into the house and he makes quite the entry. He really goes out of his way. Remember when we talked about Ananias and he goes to a Saul, whose Saul is on his way to come and kill the Christians in Damascus. And Ananias walks in and he says, brother, and just broke that ice and accepted him and welcomed him into that, that family to let him know there was a place. Peter walks into Cornelius's house and he says, hi there. You're well aware it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. <coughs> like, I really shouldn't be here. God kind of brought me here. So let's get on with this. He says, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. But I want you to know I could have objections. Like there are objectionable things about this, but, but because God brought me here and he showed me not that it, to treat anyone as impure or unclean, then I'm not going to raise those objections. Like it's not a particularly gracious introduction. But then he asks an important question. May I ask why you sent for me? And so they are the two things that I think I want us to focus on today that God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. That's so hard, isn't it? Isn't it, isn't it difficult to think that God doesn't want me to treat anyone as impure or unclean? Like I think we know that intellectually. But in the way we live our lives, are there people that we avoid? People that we can't envisage fit, um, fitting into the church, ever following Jesus? Like it's just people that we don't want to spend time with. It's just really difficult to say, yeah, I, I follow through with this. I don't call or treat anyone as impure or unclean. And so I think this, what I see to this point, though, as we, we go through the story, is this emphasis on relationship. And, and I think it's an important point for us in our circumstances today. It's interesting that as we sat around computers on Sunday morning in our homes, um, one of the things that we talked about was, oh, it'll be so great to get back together with other people. And, and it is, right? Isn't it great yeah, to be here? Um, but I think here's our challenge, is how much do we really value those relationships? And what do we consider a relationship? Because I wonder if sometimes we don't consider seeing somebody across the room every Sunday as a relationship with that person. Like, oh, it's great to be back, to have fellowship with my brother and sister in Christ. They're back in their familiar seat. And, and you come, and you might come for a month, and they come for a month, and at the end of the month, if you said, what do you know about that person that you didn't know six weeks ago, you might not know anything new. Because you're, 
been longing for this fellowship and this relationship, and you're in the room together. But do we really have relationship and fellowship? And so I think that it's difficult at the moment. Right? We're all still wearing masks, we're six feet away. Um, but I hope we're making plans for relationship and fellowship with each other that goes beyond sitting in a room or even shaking hands at some point down the road. And, you know, of, of shaking hands and saying, hi, how are you? And they say, great, how are you? And you say, great. And say, like, oh, we're all great. And we go home and everything's great. Or awesome, right? We get the Lego movie thing going. Um, and, and so what's that going to be like? Because what we see is that Peter didn't just stay in Jerusalem. He went and traveled and visited people. and spent time with them and stayed in the house of people that maybe he wouldn't have stayed in the house of before. He invested in those relationships. But he does it with those inside the church. He also does it with those outside the church, like Cornelius. Because he leaves Joppa, he travels to Caesarea, which is up north in Galilee. And, um, and he invests in Cornelius. He cares about him, gets to know him. And, and that's why that first question there is so important that he says, may I ask why you have sent for me? He asked the messengers the same thing if we were to go back uh, to verse 21. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for, why have you come? He wants to hear from them. He wants to get to know them. He wants to understand them and, and know their stories. And so as we move into our better normal in the future, we need to value relationships, not just by word, but by actually valuing relationships with those inside and outside the church. Last week I went through, um, oh, is my clicker not working? I'm down too low maybe. Do I need to do that? All right, I might need you to get me started there. Oh, now it's all caught up. Go back to that first one, thanks, Jonah. I think it'll work then. So we talked about this idea of bless as a way of sharing our faith, blessing those around us, okay? Blessing those outside, being a blessing, something God has always intended for his people. And I want to just take a quick look at the story of Peter and Cornelius and, and see how Peter lived out this. He changes the order a little bit, which I find interesting and which is good because any tool like this is, Certainly not, as I said last week, it's not a magic bullet. Um, it, it's, it just contains elements that are important to this process. But they both begin with prayer. And um, I mentioned in, in Acts 10, and uh, well, actually, it doesn't say it at the beginning, but Cornelius in chapter, in, in verse 31, uh, God has heard your prayer, remembered your gifts to the poor. Um, verse 30. Three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour, three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me. Cornelius is praying. And then Peter is also praying. That's where the story begins. That's where the visions occur, is in the act of prayer. And uh, God is able to, 
to use that prayer. God answers prayer. The, the second one is, is L, is uh, listen with care. And we see, as, as I pointed out, Peter doing that. He, he says, what's your story? Let me hear your story. Why have you asked me to come? And he's interested in, in what they're doing and what God is doing. How, how is it that we've arrived at this place together? And I, I think it's, it's interesting that the teaching that Peter does from verse 34 down is very different to his teaching at the day of Pentecost because he's been listening. He knows who Cornelius is. He recognizes the different set of circumstances. He was listening with care. Now, they eat together. They certainly do. Uh, we're not told the menu, but in verse 23, the, when the messengers arrived in Joppa, Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. And they don't leave until the next morning. And so they, they eat together. They get to know each other. And then at the very end of the story, a really important point here. Remember, we talked about how Peter says, I shouldn't even be in your house. I shouldn't be in the room with you. It says that then they ask Peter to stay with them for a few days. And presumably Peter does, otherwise they wouldn't have that there. And so Peter stays with these new Gentile Christians for a few days, recognizing that that bond of um, uh, the Holy Spirit has bridged that divide that existed, but also connecting with them, teaching them, discipling them, investing in them, because so much can happen when we share space and food together. It, it demonstrates a care and a concern. And, and so the first S is to serve in love. And it's the, I don't have a specific verse for this, but the whole story is basically Peter serving Cornelius. Yes, I'll leave where I am and I'll travel up to where you are and I'll do what I can to help you find Jesus because that's something that you're looking for. And, and then Peter is able to, uh, share his story. And, and that's what he does. We see in um, verse 34 to verse 43. He gets though to the, in verse, uh, let me see, 39. He begins talking about the resurrection, which I've emphasized as an important theme. It says, the Jews in Jerusalem, they killed him, Jesus, by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day, caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testified about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So he, he has this version of the story of his story of how jesus has changed his life of the resurrection and now how he goes around telling other people about that and so we see peter carrying out this this uh, bless these elements uh, in this in his interactions with cornelius now i think it's important to notice in this particular set of circumstances that the holy spirit plays a the role of a turbocharger that often doesn't happen in our relationships with people because it's the Holy Spirit that gets Peter on the way, uh, that prompts Cornelius to send for Peter. And then I love, and you're probably wishing this was happening already, 
But in verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. It's like the Holy Spirit said, enough, Peter, okay? So you've been going on, you've explained things, we've got to where we need to get to, let me take over. And the Holy Spirit does that, and, and all of a sudden this room of, of Gentiles is filled with people who are speaking in tongues and praising God. And, 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 and the circumcised people, the Jews that had come with Peter, are shocked. I'm not sure what they thought was going to happen when they went and talked about Jesus to a Gentile. But maybe they thought that the Gentiles would all line up to be circumcised and to become Jews. And then having done that, they would then begin to follow Jesus. That was certainly what later um, groups of Chris, Jewish Christians thought was the proper order of things. Maybe that's what these people were expecting. And so when the Holy Spirit comes on them, without them converting to Judaism, their minds are blown. You know, they're like, what is going on? How is this possible? This isn't the way it's supposed to be. But God and His Spirit aren't always working the way that we expect them to. And so, on the basis of that, they say, surely no one can stand in their way from being baptized. And I think it's interesting that their minds are blown by the appearance of the Holy Spirit. But many of us, Church of Christ folks, have our minds blown by this as well, because the Holy Spirit comes on them before they're baptized. It's just a reminder to us, I think, that while we're used to things working in a particular way, many of us learn, you know, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, and continue to grow, or hear, believe, repent, um, and, and say this is the correct order and the correct sequence for everything, that that hasn't always been exactly the way things work. And, and we certainly, we see here the Holy Spirit and baptism and the preaching of the gospel and the need for the forgiveness of sins, they're all in the same place. But the Holy Spirit came on those people who were therefore children of God, Christians, believers in Jesus before their baptism, but they're baptized as a way of confirming their faith, committing to following Jesus and, uh, and, and living life in the Holy Spirit. And so I think here is our second application that I want us to, to finish with. And that is that God and the Holy Spirit is already at work in the world. You see, we can put up this particular BLESS um, acronym and, and series of steps. We can um, come up with any other way of sharing the salvation, sharing a, a message of salvation and, and Jesus. And, and all of that can seem like it's putting a lot of effort on us, a lot of pressure on us to perform, to meet expectations, to go through this, this process. But it's really important for us to remember that God is already at work in the world. And so one of the verses I love here is, and I think I've already read it, but is in verse 9 of chapter 10. About noon the following day, this is the day after Cornelius has his, has his vision, as they, the messengers, were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. So here's Peter in Joppa goes up on the roof to pray. He's hungry. He starts dreaming about food. Okay. I don't know, do you have dreams like that when you're praying? Anyway, he does. He's hungry. He has a vision about food and while he's praying. And, and so it's really easy to focus on this. And the vision is a spectacular one. We often preach and talk about that vision a lot and its importance. And, and, and it's a really, it really is an attention-grabbing event. But all that happens while 
the messengers are already on the road. God has already been at work in Cornelius. The messengers are already en route and they arrive. Like Peter could think, I am the star of the moment. Okay? I've had this vision. I've had this great breakthrough. I now understand that clean and unclean are God's sort of changing the way we view all that. Oh, I, I, I think I got this. I need to go back. I need to explain to the rest of the 12, the other 11. We, we need to roll this out. We'll write a curriculum. I'll put my name on the bottom. Like, I feel like we've made real progress. And like, no, God's been working the whole time, Peter. The thing that happens next isn't anything to do with you, really. You just have to say yes. You just have to be recognized the moment. And so they knock on the door and Peter says, ha, because that's what this was about. Come on in and tell me what God's been doing in your life. Because God's already at work. And I think we see that again at the end as he's, Peter's preaching again. He's probably just getting going. He's like, oh, I've got so much to tell you. Let me start in Genesis. And the Holy Spirit steps in and says, Peter, right? they're believers. I've been working in this. It's not up to you and your preaching. Right? Let's just worship a little bit and baptize them. Then you can stick around and you can train them and disciple them and teach them in the days ahead. And so I think it's for us. Remember that God is already at work in the world. We're part of that. We're part of the story, but we're not the stars. It's always God and his spirit working ahead of us. We make ourselves available and we say yes. I want to close today just by, as I did last week, taking a moment to pray for those around us. Father God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you are at work around us. And uh, Lord, we know there are thousands of people this morning in this town, in this city, who aren't worshipping you, that don't have you as part of their lives. And so we, we know that you want them in your kingdom, that you love them, that you care about them. And Father, we believe that you are already working in their lives. It doesn't mean that they'll necessarily recognize or accept that, but we know that you're at work in the world. And Father, we pray that you help us, that your spirit guide us to recognize opportunities to spread and share your good news, to share your love to answer questions for us that that we just um that we not be the reason that, that other people uh don't hear about you and so father we just uh, praise you for your love care and concern not only for us individually and as a church but for all people and uh, we thank you for jesus and for the salvation that he makes possible for all of us we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.